Welcome to Zero Ambitions, a podcast about sustainability and the built environment. So it was about time we had someone on from the Irish Green Building Council to, to join us for an episode. Jeff's been talking about it, but we just haven't made it happen. To remedy the situation, Jeff invited Marianne Jamais. Uh, she's head of policy and advocacy for the IGBC. And he invited her to join us to discuss a recent white paper they published in conjunction with the Institute of International and European Affairs. It's a bit of a tautology. Um, anyway, it's a paper titled Reviewing the Co-Benefits of Energy Efficiency in an Irish Context. But the paper itself, it's well worth a look for all of our listeners. You can imagine what's in it. It's about decarbonisation, the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions, better use of resources, pollution, societal impacts, health, well-being, energy efficiency, obviously. And it's a very holistic look at the situation, which is obviously something we talk about. We also talk about the nature of the phrase co-benefits, one I, I loathe. But we're stuck with it, I suppose, much like retrofit. But it's a really good piece of work. It's really well-written, concise, well-referenced. It condenses all of the issues that lots of us in this space find ourselves talking about a lot into a surprisingly handy 24-page document that's very easy to navigate. And just in case 24 pages sounds long, I think five or six of those pages are just the bibliography. Whatever way we look at it, the paper's well worth a look for all of our listeners, regardless of its Irish specificity. But the themes, problems, solutions, I mean, it's all broadly the same, wherever you are, from Enniscorthy to El Salvador. Like the details differ, I mean, the politics particularly. But I suppose that's what's interesting. We also got a chance to talk about the buildings passport, or not the buildings passport, the building renovation passport concept. It's not a new idea. It's just a really interesting one. If you haven't heard of it, it's a means of, a proposed means of tracking the work that's been done to a building throughout its life from the point of issue of the passport. So if you approach a, a retrofit situation, you know exactly what's gone into it in advance. So you can start planning without uncovering hell the moment you peel back a wall. So yeah, Mario was a lot of fun. And with that, I suppose I'll just let you listen to it. Thank you for joining us. Cheers. Well, yeah, you know me, so I'm not going to say anything, Marion. You know, yeah. you know what you're. You know, I, yeah, I'm ashamed of myself, so I'm not going to say anything. Well, <laughs> should we turn your introduction into the the start of the episode, then, Marion? Yeah, and I should say as well. First thing, Marion, um, because it's basic common courtesy. Given that you're French, um, am I brutalizing your name when I call you Marion? Uh, should I, you know, or or are you just used to that? I'm used to that, so that's fine. Don't you? <laughs> as long as you don't call me Mario, which happens, I'm fine. Oh God. <laughs> My son might, because he's obsessed with Mario. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us today, Marion. So um, Jeff suggested that you would be a good guest to join us because you're 
you're the head of policy and advocacy for the IGBC, is that correct? Yeah? Yeah, that's correct. And uh, you've just produced a white paper focused on reviewing the core benefits of energy efficiency in an Irish context. And so there's a lot of familiar stuff in there, but it's a, it's an interesting and very useful piece of work. So I'm, I'm a bit sc- I'm a bit scared of Marion as well, I should say. Sorry for cutting in. I know I shouldn't be doing that, but um, Marion's you know very very impressive you and the work the igbc generally are doing uh never ceases to to impress me just the amount of different stuff you get through stuff that that i agree with you know um i i do not expect to see that level of radicalism in terms of the kind of action you're trying to push for but but you're getting engagement from across the industry and um and that i think is amazing so yeah, uh, yeah he's he's not just saying that here either like he he goes on about it off air and in our private lives as well and like, in my sleep yeah, yeah. <laughs> no i don't mean like pillow talk but uh yeah sorry but you wouldn't know dan would you <laughs> yeah there's no sleeping when we're in bed Thanks, Jeff, but you're doing so much yourself. So, <laughs> um, Marion, do you want to give us a bit of uh, background in relation to the papers, Amia, yeah, or what well, and, we... and uh, who you are? So, we can introduce you to our listeners. Okay, sure. Um, so, um, I'm Marion Jamais, and uh, I work for the Irish Green Building Council. Um, I've been with the council for about seven years uh, at this stage, and really, what we do at the IGPC is. We try to promote a more sustainable built environment in Ireland. Um, and what we mean by that, I mean, we, tr- we try to take a holistic approach to sustainability. So yes, we look at energy efficiency at carbon emission, but we also look at everything else that relates to sustainability, like looking as well at air quality, um, at uh, ecology and bodied carbon and so on. So we really try to take like this holistic approach. Uh, in terms of my role at the IGBC, uh, it's primarily policy and uh, advocacy. So um, yeah, really trying, trying my best um, to, I suppose, to, to push for more ambitious uh, policies in that area at the European level with the World Grid Building Council and in Ireland as well um, with the IGBC. So this report that you you put together like where did it come from yeah what is it where did it come from yeah (laughs) okay um so the report was put together with the with the energy and climate group of the institute of international and uh, european affairs uh, in dublin so uh, the group is shared by alex white and professor owen lewis and we did decide really to focus first on on building and the built environment because i think it really has a, a huge impact i suppose on uh, really, when you think of our, of our carbon emission and of our climate targets, I think what the IGBC has shown, like through research that we did commission from UCD, is that the built environment is responsible for 37% of our national emissions. So the same as agriculture. Uh, I don't know if many people realize that, but you know, 24% of these emissions relate to uh, operational emissions. So really the energy that we use to heat, light and cool our buildings, but then 14% of these emissions relate to embodied carbon emissions. So really the emission associated with the construction process really and producing materials. But the other bit that is interesting, I suppose, uh, in relation to the built environment, it, it's linked really with our transport uh, emissions. Uh, and that's Ireland like um, second highest source of carbon emission. It's the fastest growing source of carbon emission. So I think we decided really at the time to focus on building for the first white papers because we did really... We realize, I suppose, uh, the high potential, um, you know, mm. of the built environment in terms of reducing our emissions. 
and also I think that's a great point. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I mean, so no, it's I, I'm sorry. I shouldn't be interrupting and then continuing to interrupt. But uh, in other words, it's a little. It feels to me at times a little, ar- a little bit arbitrary how we divide, how we divvy up uh, and allocate the emissions uh, in terms of our national targets. Um, because you know, uh, when you are planning a, you know. I don't know, thinking about how to solve a housing crisis, for instance, um, one of the questions, I'm sorry, I have a little dog outside scratching at the door, I'll get to him in a second. Um, one of the problems that you have to, to think about here is where you locate it um, and how you think about the mix of different buildings uh, that you're putting together to enable people to to not be spending bloody hours every day sat in a, a barely mobile car park on, on a motorway, you know. So uh, that, that's part of your thinking with this, too. Absolutely, um, because I think like that's something we really need to get. I mean, taking this holistic approach, I suppose, to the built environment is something we need to to get better uh, at doing. That's something we haven't done very well to date, and especially like in terms of potential, I think it's kind of the easiest and probably cheapest way as well to reduce or reduce our emissions. Uh, we have the technology. It's just about getting the planning right. It's also about better using our existing stock to reduce our embodied carbon emission because what the research uh, from UCD show is that the embodied carbon emission of uh, a deep residential retrofit in Ireland is about of a quarter of that of a new build. So really like, like that should make the case for better using our stock. And even like looking beyond like like carbon emission, because I think we are also in a biodiversity crisis. What mm. our data show is that if we keep building at, at the current density, like based on what we are building at the moment to deliver like the 400,000 arms that we need by 2030, we are going to need uh, a third again of County Dublin. And that's not even including like the land that we need for building infrastructure uh, for these homes. So in terms of both the carbon and the biodiversity crisis, I think it's it's really important to look at that. It's interesting hearing you use the word holistic and observing that Jeff didn't recoil uh, with his tongue out in horror because he, he tends to hate that word. So props. All right. Uh, I was focused I, on my... You have a better word than Jeff. Integrated, I prefer. The, the reason I don't like holistic is because it has uh, it has baggage. It's a useful term, but um, it has baggage in sort of sort of complementary and alternative medicine. For people of a more scientific bent, some people will recoil from it for that reason. It's a brilliant word, I think, and it's one that should be reclaimed from the, the people brandishing crystals and dream catchers. Because <laughs> like, it's the most appropriate. Uh, yeah, you're in terms right. Of addressing the whole, like integrated, that just sounds like more marketing. Um, so who who was this report written for? Because what struck me is there's loads of familiar, like we talk about this stuff all the time on the show and separately, and all of our listeners will. Like what I really like about it is like it's a really good summary of all the things. It's really well referenced, and whilst it is focused on Ireland in particular. Like, I recognize that all the themes are just as relevant here, and they're just as relevant in continental Europe. Like, some of the details are the same. Like, we've got a a friend of the show who's going to Labour Conference who's trying to harangue some of the big beasts within the party about the the retrofit industry. And I shared this with her because it's a really easy place to steal useful key points, facts, references Mm -hmm. from. So who... Yeah, who did you write this for? And like what impact are you hoping for it to have? 
Yeah, uh, primarily to be honest, initially, like uh, for policy makers, because as you know, we are investing a lot in Ireland in energy renovation, which is which is fantastic. We have an ambitious program, but I think it's also important uh, we get it right, uh, both in terms of reducing our carbon emission and from a social justice point of view. So I think that was really like the main target. And I agree with you, there are lots of papers at international level. And um, I'm sure to some, well, to some, the data are often the same, but um, and that's also based on a project that I did for the Irish Green Building Council about two years ago, which was called Build Upon, which was about developing um, a framework to better capture the co-benefit of energy renovation uh, in Ireland. So we did a pilot with a number of local authorities. But what we do realize is often we don't have the resources to capture good quality data on the impact of uh, energy renovation. And I think that kind of a missed opportunity because we need this data to ensure like the program are successful uh, and they do deliver this saving and they are good for people and the planet and so on. That was one of the things uh, I was really hoping we'd get to talk about, like because... Mm-hmm. All right, first thing, I hate the phrase co-benefits. This isn't directed at you. Holistic co-benefits, there you go. But this is it, like, they're not, but they're not co-benefits. They're just Mm -hmm. fucking benefits. They are, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. things that come out of doing things better. The -hmm. trouble is, like, they are devalued because we only tend to think about the economic benefit of buying, building, buying, and selling. They're not by the ways. They're not afterthoughts, you're saying. They're, they're, uh, They're the main show, basically, yeah. But the difficult part which you address uh within the the the, the paper is the fact that they're really nebulous <laughs> and hard to pin down they can be but at the same time if we don't have this data it's very difficult i think really like to evaluate this program and i think that's really what we did try to do at the time with the the build upon framework it was developed with in with 10 other green building councils so that was all about having better quality data, like really to make a, a better case for energy renovation for people, for like so that really we can better communicate on it, but also for the policymaker, because I think without the data, it's, it is difficult um, to really make like good decisions. So we're really trying to support decision making. That was one thing. And nebulous, I suppose it depends. There are also things that I think, and like in terms of, for instance, indoor air quality or pre and post renovation radon testing, it's not things that, you know, it's okay. It does require a bit of resources and the effort, but I think that are things that can be measured as well. Do you, do you think, Marion, um, uh, um, and, and I, I, this is something myself and Dan have been discussing actually recently in the context of another project. Um, do you always need to be gathering data on every like if you've got a proven methodology, a proven approach that uh, where you where you know um you know across a broad range of different applications with different kinds of users, for instance, um what the performance is like? Do you, do you always need to be capturing that data, uh, or you know because and is it expensive to capture it? You know, no, I'm I'm, I'm not saying that, and uh, I, I I do agree with you. Like for instance, uh, one thing we're also working on at the Irish Green Building Council, it's like um, developing guidance document, like a guidance document in relation to um, the typologies of, of new housing development to make it easier for planner, like to identify, you know, the carbon impact of different type of, of typologies and development. So it's not always about capturing data. I think once we know, we can develop like um, good quality guidance document. But 
what my point on, in relation to that was also about post-occupancy evaluation, which is something we should probably do more. And oh, yeah. there is no real reason why it should be much more expensive. I think it's all about having the, the process uh, in place as well right from the beginning. One thing I was curious about is talking about data and capturing this data. How do you hope and who do you hope will use this data? Because obviously it's going to be, it needs to be made available to the most amount of people so that uh, lots of people can bring in ideas. But often we find that you know just showing data and showing percentages and graphs and charts it's not, doesn't talk exactly to the, the majority. So what are your hopes for, for this data use? Well, it's, I think it's just, it's one part as well. What we are saying in the paper when it comes to energy renovation, we, may, we need, and I think that's, that's actually the phrase that he's using in the long-term renovation strategy in Ireland, but we need to make it more desirable, uh, accessible and affordable. And I think part of making it more desirable is about having better data and better communicating uh, the co-benefit. But that's, uh, sorry for using the word co-benefit, sorry, the benefit, I suppose, of energy <laughs> renovation. I but, forgive you. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, but it's it's absolutely, it's, it's more than that. Um, the communication part is important, both in terms of communicating the benefit and also what we have shown in terms of or we communicate with with users post retrofit, like you know, in terms of oh, they should be using the, the new appliance uh, and so on. But it's also about so making it um, more accessible. I think it's making it simpler, um, and that's why one thing we are looking at at the paper, and it's also part of the discussion at, at European level with the Energy Performance of Buildings Directive, or the the renovation passports. In fact, we did uh, pilot them in Ireland, but three years ago. So really what I'm trying to say is there is most renovation happening, happening in Ireland are still like shallow retrofit at the moment. Uh, we still have support for uh, single measures, but I think we need to make it easy for people if they just take one action to have a clear plan. Uh, and part of the solution is probably the passport and getting the, the, the right information. And the last point is obviously uh, affordability. Uh, so that's why as well, we have recommendation in relation to uh, existing grants in, in, in the papers and uh, low interest loan uh, and so on. I think that data is also really important because one thing that we see in the research that, that we have is that everyone has an opinion, right? Everyone thinks this and they talk to their mates in the pub and, and they sort of make these assumptions around things. And data is really important to actually have uh, foundational proof that we, that we that cannot be refuted. And I know you can argue that data can be used in different ways, but there comes to a mm -hmm. point where you have to say, this is the proof, this is what people are doing in the buildings, these are how they're being used. Stop saying that, you know, just because you were chatting in a pub about this, that it's going to be the, the right solution. Yeah, and it's also to pick if there are any issues that we can pick them early as well, you know, with yes. any program or yeah, any projects. I think the renovation passport idea, I don't know how, uh, it's, it's fascinating and, and uh, you've done great work in this regard. Uh, I don't know that all of our listeners will necessarily know what we mean by that. Could you briefly explain what it is? Uh, sure. So really, um, I think like all, that's, um, like all your listeners uh, would know, we are really trying to reach um, carbon neutrality at the latest by 2050. Um um, and in Ireland, we have ambitious target in terms of deep retrofit um, by, by 2030. But the reality is that most of the renovation happening are still shallow retrofit. And also for various reasons, um, people may not be able to afford or, you know, may not be in the right time in their life, like, you know, to go through a deep retrofit. So the idea with the passport is to, um, is really to ensure that even if you take like 
only uh, small steps, I suppose, towards like a, a deep uh, retrofit is that the steps are taken in the right order. So that's really, um, so that's kind of a roadmap really uh, toward that will allow you to to do a deep retrofit um, in a phased way, but to make sure that this is done in the right order uh, to avoid login, lock-in, sorry, and to ensure that um over time, you have a very efficient and very comfortable homes. I think that's really what we are trying to do with the passport. And I think that's particularly, yeah, I think it's key from our point of view at the IGBC when we are supporting, uh, especially single measures that actually there is a clear plan. Because um, what we don't want either is, you know, to have the feeling, oh, you have done something. It might be small. You have put solar PV on your own and that's it, you know. So we need, we need really like to be sure we have this plan for the property. And I think in terms of data, actually, as well, if it's associated with a, with a logbook, it would allow us to have better quality data on the stock, also looking at the post, uh, at the actual performance of buildings. Uh, so. Fantastic. So, my, my, so in other words, in practical terms, if I understand you correctly, mm-hmm. if, uh, you do, a measure gets done to a building now, in yeah. 10 years' time, uh, another, you know, somebody can, maybe the house has changed hands, I don't know, um, but yeah. somebody else looks to do another measure to the house, and you now all mm-hmm. of a sudden you and your design team or your install or whatever have a record of what was done previously so you can take account then of of uh of you know making sure that what you do now doesn't scupper that or or that might inform the measures that you take now right absolutely and that's another of the of the benefit I suppose, of the of the passport is that you know it should make things cheaper in the long run as well because you would get the you know you're buying a property you should get the information what was done what are the next steps instead of starting from scratch again you know every time you send the property i'm quite struck by the phrase you used energy renovation as well Mm -hmm. i met up with uh dr kate simpson former guest on the show ages ago Mm -hmm. the other night she was in the area she's working on a project just down the road so we met Mm -hmm. up for drinks and we were we met another person yeah. Who she met while swimming in the sea, who's another built environment professional. They was asking yes. what we do. And we said we were talking about retrofit. And she asked the question, mm-hmm. what is retrofit? And then mm-hmm. we got into that whole debate about how what an appalling phrase retrofit is or word, because like it doesn't really tell you anything about what we are trying to achieve. It just says you're changing a thing that exists already. Mm-hmm. That's it. You could be making it less energy efficient. And renovation is a word that Kate said she tends to stick with because it feels more immediately meaningful to the people. And, oh, man, calling it energy renovation immediately makes it feel a bit more aspirational without it being unattainable. It, and it betrays something of the the motivation behind it. Perhaps that's a phrase that we should be working because, you know, accessibility renovation would be equally applicable. And not everyone decarbonization renovation, like all those renovation, yeah, yeah, comfort renovation, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can make it work in all sorts of. Sorry, that's a digression, but uh, oh, I think it's oh, I'm going to ponder that a bit longer. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure. I like comfort renovation as well, but yeah, uh, it's a difficult one. I don't know to be honest what's the best word to use. Oh, um, and just as an aside, I might cut this. But if you see me creasing up laughing, it's not something you've said. I've just been stuck on Jeff saying, I'm sorry, I'll just be a moment. I've got a little dog scratching at the door like a euphemism. And then he disappeared off screen. 
very delayed reaction, Dan. Been there. Yeah, no, I've been laughing all the way through. I've been trying well, to control. Oh. Yeah. It's a very good yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounded easily amused. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's a fabulous euphemism. And then we never saw the dog, though, did we? Like, he just disappeared off screen for a couple of minutes. No, the, the mock's been there in his hands. We have the dog, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, we see it now. Yeah, yeah we yeah, know. Yeah. Could be a glove puppet for all you know, though. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, right, sorry, I'll be back in a minute. I've got a little dog scratching at the door. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. Right, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I don't, actually. I'm, I, I went before we started. It's fine. <laughs> uh, it's oh. How's the report been received, uh, Marion? Um, no, to date, I think it has been it has been well received. Indeed, we are actually working on a kind of, a, well, at the Irish Green Building Council and in partnership with Friends of the Earth. We are also looking more, more in depth at fuel poverty and the impact of... Uh, Energy renovation uh, on fuel poverty and what could be uh, what could be improved. Um, as you may know, Jeff as well, we have done a bit of work as well on indoor air quality as part of an other project. So there are a lot there are lots of overlap there. So um, yeah, no, it, it it has been well received to date, and we are hoping uh, it has been sent as well to a number of politicians and senior civil servants. So you know, it takes time, but uh, yeah, I think it's all about pushing the message about this importance of this integrated approach uh, as well yeah. and capturing data. Yeah. I wanted to ask you in that regard, actually, because um, since we've taken an, an increasing interest at the magazine um, in embodied carbon as a subject um, yeah. over the last couple of years, um, mm -hmm. when I floated the idea, you know, having gone through some calculations and seen how, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you know what it's like, you go through the calcs and you, and you, you identify the kind of hot spots where you can have enormous chunks of embodied carbon um, for things that you might have missed or things that, that mm -hmm. where you can have a, a subtle change in specification. If you happen mm -hmm. to have one manufacturer, for instance, who's really engaged with this and found ways to kind of improve and green their process mm -hmm. can make an absolutely profound impact on, on the total for the building. And yet when I've raised this with, uh, you know, informally with people in even in policymaking kind of positions, uh, you know, mm -hmm. in other words, what about bringing embodied carbon into the discussion now for uh, for, for retrofit? You know, mm -hmm. um, like PV would be a great case in point. You know, there's as, as I'm sure mm -hmm. you know, Marion, there's different PV modules that have wildly different embodied carbon scores. And the response generally has been very lukewarm. It's sort of like, you know, don't don't let this get, this get in the way of, of doing retrofit now. And I find that. Uh, given that the world is on fire, um, I find that a little bit less than satisfactory. Yeah, um, to be honest, I think it. Yeah, uh, I I hear you. Um, I think it's. Um, I think it's probably better somewhere we were like three years ago. Like I think at least there's a bit of awareness uh, of the of the issue. Um, yeah. But um, what I do find uh, frustrating as well is sometimes this tendency to. You know, to say, okay, but let's wait really for for the legislation to come from Europe and for the um, energy performance of building directive to be transposed into Irish law. And my frustration there is especially because, you know, you look at the carbon modeling report that we did commission from Oliver Keenan in UCD, and it does show that given like, um, you know, we are building so much in Ireland, like we have 400,000 tons to be delivered by uh, 2030, what the report show is that we need to address embodied carbon. No, you know, like, I mean, these emissions uh, are going to, well, going to be emitted really in the next 
the next seven years. We can't retrofit them, so we can't uh, we can't really wait. And even if it's regulated at European level at the moment, they are talking about measurement for larger building for 2027 and reduction from 2030, which is far too late. And mm. we've seen that other countries are already actually regulating and bodied carbon. So I would agree with you. I think we need really like to to start this conversation. And also my actually my colleague Stephen Barrett, I'm sure you know Stephen is doing a, yeah. a lot of work on that in terms of developing a national methodology like that will be aligned with levels um with support from SCAI, looking at getting a good quality case studies to test the methodology and to ensure we have a good baseline. So Really, from our point of view, 2027, if we wait till 2027, uh, it should, we shouldn't just start, we shouldn't just start measuring in 2027. We should really introduce a limit from 2027. Otherwise, yeah. it will be too late. Yeah. It's Sorry for being negative. Uh, yeah. No, I think that's no, fantastic. No, you're, yeah. yeah. And you're welcome to be negative. Like, it's a great big shit show and we are living in a catastrophe. <laughs> like, it's really appalling. We can find things to be positive about, like the one of the conclusions that you come to regarding, well, a, a co-benefit of renovation or a way of tackling a bunch of the different issues that are faced that aren't necessarily obvious is uh, the renovation of underused or unused building stock within towns and cities as a means of relieving the housing crisis, potentially relieving the, the rental crisis, improving well-being of the, the the renters because of the reduced pressure uh, and removing some of the transport issues mm. like from from commuters like just by tackling this underused asset you you ameliorate so many other issues to one degree or another yeah i think it i mean again like that's something we we are hearing far more about i think in the last two years or three years and i think that that's fantastic because if we look at the level of um Vacancy or underused buildings uh, in our towns uh, and cities, like the, the, the report does mention some stats from the Heritage Council, actually, and that, that's pretty scary. So I think that's really something we need to, we need to, to get moving on. And um, yesterday I was at this fantastic presentation from John Dobbins, uh, who is an architect in Dublin, that was really showing like how we could convert quite easily some of these older 60s, 70s commercial uh, buildings into kind of residential mm -hmm. buildings. And what was fascinating is just like for him, like showing a visual, like, you know, the building as it is now and how it could look like, you know, if it was converted with life, you know, life in the street and people yeah. and, you know, like bringing back that life into the city centers. So I think we need to be better probably as well at communicating this kind of um, uh, that, exciting and positive. And that is message. architecture, by the way. That is what the future <laughs> of architecture has got to look like. That is creativity um, and and uh, and finding ways to to revitalize places. No more bloody, you know, concrete and steel phallic structures uh, as 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 the kind of a benchmark for for architectural excellence. You know, it's um it's about uh th this to me feels like the, where the future of architecture would lie in the in the in the twenty first century. If any, to the extent that anyone listens to me, you know. Yeah. Well, I think you're, you're yeah. absolutely right. There's all that building stock which is underused, and it's not just in Ireland. Although uh, it's potentially worth noting now that. Ireland, the the housing crisis in Ireland is particularly acute. I listened to the Blind Boy podcast the other day, and he oh, yeah. said he offered a statistic: something like sixty two percent of people under the age of thirty five are living with their parents still. Yeah, which is debilitating in all sorts of ways. Uh, which he elucidates on 
magnificently in that. It's an amazing podcast, just generally, for them who yeah. want another podcast to listen to. I think it just comes back to the, to, to use different terminologies, but the, the impact and ramifications of everything that we do. When you think about it, we're, why are we surprised that suddenly renovating, retrofitting, whatever, empty buildings in city centers that were obviously purposely built to have a community feel and amenities altogether, why are we now today surprised that it's, uh, it's going to be a solution when actually it's very obvious this is how we've evolved over centuries to, 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 to live as as a community, and we've slowly expanded out for obviously the wrong reasons. It was usually maybe more for the big uh, FMCG companies trying to shift more and more product, et cetera, et cetera. So having a think and understanding and showing people, like connecting the dots as to if you do this, if you re renovate, if you retrofit, if you stop having this need to travel so far, it's actually going to have a lot of benefits. So to call it co-benefits or whatever you want to call it, but it, it's true. We have to really get a sense of how all these little things connect together to make a really big solution as well. Absolutely. And really like, I mean, when you think, you know, like often when we talk about like cities and town in, in 2050s the reality is most of these i know we have a growing population but the city of 2050 most of it already exists you know if you look at irish cities and towns so we need to be better at using as well like existing building and the land as well i mean we we have in terms of urban sprawl we have been pretty bad in the last 50 years so that's clearly something um, that needs to be addressed and part of it is better using uh, or building stock like in, in central location or Bromfield um, and also actually in the suburbs. Well, on that particular issue of people not having their own homes, uh, you know, as they enter into almost middle ages, uh, I think one one idea that I think is a lot of scope um, is families pooling together. And we've seen some people do this where, where uh, you build a kind of granny flat you know, uh, for the for the parents, so that they can kind of move into part of the property uh, and have their children taking over, basically, you know, a, a renovated kind of uh, version of the house, uh, and then you've got built in kind of uh, you know care as well for 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 the parents, and you're kind of you know without having to. You compare that to I was talking to Lenny, uh, one of our journalists, about um, friends of his who are you know eco minded or whatever in certain regards, and they're bloody building you know, uh, uh, one-off houses in the countryside, you know, going in, he's talking, uh, you know, 300 square meter kind of houses or whatever, because because they can, without even thinking about it. Uh, there has to be an alternative to that, you know. It's just so wasteful, so profligate. Yeah, and actually just on that, one of the points we are making in the Irish Green Building Council, building a zero-carbon island, which is really a roadmap to decarbonize our built environment by, by 2050, when we come, to, when it comes to world life carbon, one thing we need to look at also is is what we are building. You know, in terms of if we think as well of our population uh, projection. I mean, yes, our population is growing, but our, our soil size is decreasing. Like it's growing more and more. Like you know, we have smaller soils like in most European countries. So perhaps there is a question as well in terms of the type of property uh, we need, and it's just we don't need once. Okay, we we may have enough, like you know, um, single um, data, single family detached homes. So we know we need to start really thinking what uh, we are building, and also to allow these people, like you know, when you when you grow older, like to stay in your local community, and you know, to have this diversity in every neighborhood. The the bit I'm most interested in is what we're going to do with all these office buildings. I was chatting with over email with Richard O'Haggerty the other day about the research that they're doing at RKD because we want to get them on for a podcast about that when they've they've got something together. Because, I mean, there are instances where 
those sorts of buildings are already being retrofitted. I think uh, Trash Future did a podcast where they had a segment on some really appalling strip mall uh, offices above strip mall buildings where they barely changed anything. You know, they just repurposed the office kitchen. They left in the crappy ceiling tiles and the awful synthetic carpets. Like they just made next to no effort and they barely made it livable. They were selling, you know, their, their, the proximity to a, a Staples office supply center as an amenity. Like, get it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's a niche for that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's a phase of work that we're going to have to go through. Like, because people are going to do the job badly. As we often say, getting things wrong is part of the process. Willfully getting them wrong shouldn't be, though. Um, but th- those sorts of places, historically, I think, they used to develop accommodation above, like, UK strip mall-style bits. But it's the big, glassy office blocks that are going to be the problem because they were barely fit for habitation as administrators, having worked in a lot of them. Greenhouses. Yeah. That's the future. Greenhouses. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's your vertical farming. But yeah, just yeah, like, but in what... terms of in terms of numbers and I mean we still have a lot, I think, of these sixties and seventies and office building in Dublin that might be like easier like to retrofit into yeah. like residential, you know, as uh, so I think we need also to be a bit strategic, I suppose, in terms of what we are actually reusing as residential. Um the, the challenge, yeah. you're absolutely right but the challenge we've got now is there is a crisis amongst that sort of property asset so the move to get all the people back to the office is not about people being more productive in the office because they they managed to prove during covid that they're just as productive or more productive working from home you know apple went from being a two trillion dollar company to a three trillion dollar or from one to two trillion dollar whatever they went up by a multiple of a trillion and they they're now insisting that all workers go back to the office three days a week in spite of them of all companies surely they would be well placed to to support remote working like one of the actual tech companies that's an actual tech company but you know they've got property values to maintain and portfolios that are invested in them that must be supported so it's these office buildings, the point I'm trying to make before sidetracking myself is that these are the ones that are going to need dealt with sooner rather than later. And they're really ill, they're really not appropriate in many cases. Yeah, but I think the point there is also that we need to be like, we need to start designing and building and building um, buildings that are more adaptable and that can be used for longer as well. Like, you yeah. know, I mean, I think there's a very good case study at the moment in the in the Netherlands, it's one of the university in Amsterdam. I've forgotten the name, but they are building an, an amphitheater like for the university, but that's going to be used as a cinema in the evening. And I think it's also like having this kind of creative mindset, you know, and see like actually like, oh, we can better use our buildings if you think of, of schools. And that's just an example, you know, they may be yeah. used for a few hours a day, but not in the summer. Not, so really, when we say we need to better use our stock, it's absolutely, we need to think about that. Like, yeah, but I mean that's it. We in the the modern world, we've not thought about reuse. We've thought about building and selling. Like this was what Bill Bordas and Adrian Lehman said to us on the first episode they joined us on, where they they were talking about the the they referenced the fact that one thing we know, or to Alex's point just before, we know buildings are going to get reused. Like we know they are if they're if they're up and running, 
like the the use is going to change they'll change hands we never designed for that or we we rarely ever designed for that and i think that's definitely something we we, we need to yeah we need to start thinking and we need to do really for right from now because yeah if you think of emissions of waste of i mean that that makes so much sense that we need to keep this building in use for as long as possible so in terms of addressing a bunch of these problems uh, the the issues that you've highlighted i, I was uh, jeff shared uh, some of the coverage when you published the report i saw the the story in the irish examiner they picked up the phrase wartime effort. A wartime effort is needed if 50, 500,000 homes are to be retrofitted by the end of the decade, which I thought was a fairly hilarious analogy to use in the case of Ireland. Like, <laughs> famously neutral. <laughs> and then uh, a gorilla. That, yes. Yeah, a very different. <laughs> but what does that mean in the Irish context? <laughs> but uh, Spying on the Brits, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, historically, that's very clearly about uh, blowing things up in small factions. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, let's see where this goes. But in terms of, all right, so just to, to take the, the metaphor at face value, what are you hoping to, what do you want to see in terms of a wartime effort? What do you think is even possible? So, um, well, that's a big question. Um, but um, so I think what is Positive is really like uh, we do have the target. We have seen uh, increase. Um, we have seen increase in funding in, in recent years for energy renovation. So that's obviously positive. But I think, well, I think it's no surprise for. I mean, that we need to, and that has been positive in terms of providing certainty to the industry. But we need more of that. One of my concerns as well would be like putting all our eggs in one basket with the one-stop shop, for instance, I think that's working, but that's working for part, uh, for part of the market. You know, it's working well if you, if you own your property, if you have a detached property that it's non like traditionally built, like for instance, there are issues at the moment in terms of ground and traditionally built buildings. So I think we need like, we need to be ready to test like, Various way, I suppose, of uh, various program in terms of retrofitting. So that's one option, but we need also like to look at other option. And I think it's great that it's there and uh, they are doing a great work. But um, what I'm trying to say, sorry, that we all, we perhaps also need to better support, sorry, like um, project aggregation. And I know we have been talking about that for a long time, but I think it's important, like to see, for instance, how the pilot in, in Fingal is going to go. We need to, we need to support phased uh, retrofit, as we have said, with the renovation passport. Uh, we need to provide high quality, I think, advice to people. My view on that would be very much like almost the passport should be rolled out and available for all properties just to make it easy. So you have a passport, you know where you are going. That should be a first step. And I know there is a cost to a passport, but when you think of it, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like it's mm. not such a high cost when we think of the crisis and what is needed. So really, it's a difficult one. I think if it, if it wasn't, we would have already sorted it, but I think it's about trying like various scheme for various part of the, of the market and perhaps having more like, um, and sorry, that's still something we, we are thinking of and, and looking at, but in terms of having perhaps like almost like 
I'm not 100% sure of that yet, but like a more strategic approach in terms of, you know, looking at the building stock and where are the biggest saving, you know, and or where we should prioritize like project aggregation, for instance, things like that, because we are running out of time. So looking at it in terms of carbon emission, looking at it, at it in terms of fuel poverty uh, and making sure that we are actually like, you know, um, achieving as much saving as possible and also like improving as people quality of life i think because my concern as well i think if it could, does go go wrong for any reason i think you know them it could negatively impact the industry and energy renovation uh, f- for years as well yeah sorry jeff i saw you want no to it's, I, I tell you something that uh that i've been thinking in this regard and this is partly in my capacity as the chair of the heap pump association too but there are in ireland very roughly I don't think anyone's got a precise figure on this. Um, in the order of eighty to one hundred twenty thousand boilers a year that are replaced. Now, the idea that in twenty twenty three, in a climate emergency, that we're putting new bloody fossil fuel boilers into <laughs> into homes and locking those homes in for another ten or fifteen years is absolutely head melting. So the question then, in that particular situation, is. What the hell do you do? How do you, you know, Mrs. Murphy's boiler breaks down in December and she's got the family coming over for Christmas. How do you enable her to have a warm house for the Christmas without locking her into uh, uh, planet destruction uh, for the next 15 years? You know, so that, that there are specific kind of challenges like this that I think need to be really carefully thought about to come up with solutions that that are going to challenge us, that are going to challenge. I mean, for the editor of a magazine called Passive House Plus, you know, uh, this is this is really challenging because, you know, uh, again, to go back to what we've been talking about in the, in the podcast recently, uh, the notion that you necessarily go fabric first, well, may, that's that's preferable, you know, uh, to, 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 to put the emphasis on on reducing demand, of course, wherever you can. But maybe we, we might have to put these pieces together in a slightly different order, uh, if we can, to, to avoid locking in destructive decisions, you know? Yeah. And also when you think about wildlife carbon, it's perhaps about finding like the, the sweet spot as well, you know, between a deep retrofit for certain property and kind of more shallow retrofit, but as you say, with decarbonization of the heating system but uh, yeah you know just just to go back to the examples that, that you gave like um my parents properties in the south of france but it's 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 beautiful but it's from eight i think it was built in 1811 or 1810 so it would be exactly that situation and it's there is a fossil fuel boiler so i'm not but if it d- did break let's say in december like what do you do if you don't have a plan you know if it's a traditionally built so i think that's why it's important to have the passport and also to have high quality uh, advice and to support people um, can't afford it financially as well because it's not about just you know telling people okay you need to retrofit and you need to get rid of your boiler it's also making it easy for them so in terms of getting the right advice and getting the financial support that may be needed and yeah. managing expectations and ensuring that uh, that, yeah. that that uh, as you absolutely rightly pointed out Marion that uh, at the end of the process they're not uh, they don't end up regretting their decision if they do switch you know you've got to find ways to try to in very difficult circumstances uh deliver as much success as you can <laughs> um and that's uh that is it is like trying to play a symphony with 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 both your hands tied behind your back and and bloody you know the key and uh, the, the piano locked or something i don't know it's it's tricky yeah the building passport um i think we'll have to we'll have to do a bit of investigation on this maybe this is worthy of its own episode because 
we do pay for these sorts of things, analogs. Like in Scotland, the Home Buyers Report is a survey which is ostensibly a version of a building passport. You know, it's a point in time report. It's not an ongoing document which is updated and tied tethered to the household. It's tethered to the the procurement person. But you need a home buyer's report to be able to sell your property. In the in England, you have to get your own survey done, and that comes with risk because there's no absolutely codified method for doing it because there are so many different typologies. Things are easily missed unless you pay an arm and a leg to to get the the most sophisticated version of the report done. You could see the difference between the one we got this time when we most recently moved. It was much more impressive. Um, right. Um, sorry, uh, I've got a little dog scratching at the door, so I'm going to have to go now. Um, so I'll leave. I'll leave you in their their hands. Thank you very much. Uh, it's been a pleasure. You didn't say more than capable hands, Dan. Sorry, more than capable. Well, I'll leave it at that. Eh? All right. Bye. <laughs> Thank you. Nice seeing you. <laughs> Well, now watch everything fall apart now that Dan's gone, yeah? I think it'll just become easier now. <laughs> you two shouldn't start talking in French, though. Um, I've only got Leaving Cert French, uh, and it's very ropey. You think, um, do you think that's helpful for our listeners? Start just go straight into French. But yeah, uh, no, that, that's, it's, that's great. Uh, is there anything else in particular? Are there any particular points, Marianne, that you would particularly like to, to touch upon that we haven't covered yet? No, I think just maybe like, yeah, it's just, Sorry, I'm not going to use that word, but it's really like, yeah, and I think again, this, the need for this integrated approach and it's, it's difficult one, but just not necessarily looking at issues around climate and many other things anyway, like in silo, like, you know, it, I don't think it's necessary. I know, like, if you look at our sectoral, um, at the various sector in terms of our emissions, that's the approach that is taken by the International Energy Agency. But I think sometimes it may, doesn't really help as well, you know, like to look at it like, okay, we have building emission, we have transport emission, we have manufacturing emission. I think it's about thinking like, you know, about, oh, we can reduce this emission and improving as well our quality of life by, by taking a a broader approach to this issue. Um, and, um, that's perhaps something that we haven't done that well to date. And by that, I don't mean Ireland. I mean, in general, you know, I think it's just, um, like, Energy renovation is key, it's critical, but if we could look at that, like in the broader context as well of bringing more life to our term and city and village, uh, village center, improving people's quality of life, that would also have like other benefits, like in terms of indoor equality, quality of life and so on. So I think that's the main message, you know, um, in the paper. Even though I was reading the parts where the study, the French study, uh, with the, the costs and benefits of renovating 7.4 million en- energy inefficient dwellings, by 2025, estimates uh, in France estimates that an energy efficiency program delivered at scale could result in 758 million euros in annual savings for the healthcare system. I mean, again, that's that's huge. That's absolutely huge. And again, we don't think in those terms, do we? We just think about the upfront cost of of doing the renovation, but the actual savings that it brings means that actually the investment is minute, really. Yeah, I mean that's. Absolutely agree with that. I think in the study as well from, from, from Catalonia. And I think that's the kind of thing that I say would be useful as well in Ireland. Like we spend 90% of our time indoors. So really anything that can improve, you know, like the, uh, the air quality. Um, and that's another thing as well. You know, I think it's something we don't think about enough. I think most of us, you know, we would think about like the importance of food and we would 
have kind of an idea, I suppose, of what is healthy, what is not healthy, but we don't necessarily think about air quality when we actually like, you know, it's it's critical being in ter- and in terms of renovation, it has a potential to improve indoor air quality, but also like outdoor air quality, you know, in terms of um, solid fuel burning also if we if we have like more if we make our area more walkable in terms of the impact as well of pollution associated with cars, with traffic. So uh, I think that's that's where I was going as well in terms of saying we, saying we needed better quality data. I think in terms of, sorry, like, um, uh, yeah, the impact on health, I think that's absolutely critical. And another point actually that is related to that is a very much, we haven't really touched on it and it's, I'm sure you need a whole podcast on that as well on its own, but all about skills and making sure, you know, we have the right oh, skill yeah. and the right supply chain because that's a big issue at the moment. And both in terms, I suppose, of how we install some of these, some of these materials, but also we communicate with the homeowners in terms of, you know, or you need to use ventilation system and how important it is like, you know, um, yeah, to ventilate right as well. Yeah. I, I would also add to that that we need to start having some really, really long-term visions. I don't mean for the next 50 years, 100, 200 years, maybe further. We have proven as a society that we are, our short-term thinking is incredibly destructive and we have to start thinking about the future. We're not going to be the ones suffering as much uh, from everything that's been happening. We're just seeing the start of it and it is going to get worse. So we have to be the ones to start in motion a, a method of thinking that is going to be taken into account the next two, three, and four generations, not just ourselves. And this comes back to the way we're talking about, obviously, skills, as you just mentioned, but the way we think about how we build buildings, how we are going to reuse them, and, well, everything else. We have to think much more long-term. And that, I think, is the only way that we can make a true difference. Yes, we have these targets for 2030, 2035, 2050, et cetera, depending on which country you're in, but that's not enough. That's just a drop in the ocean compared to everything that has to happen way beyond that. Absolutely. And that's a difficult one as well. I, again, I don't know if you that, but uh, how do we transition to that? Yes, it's important. I, I just on the skills point, you really kind of, that I ha- that, that is something that I, it's a kind of pet subject of mine as well. Um, I just think that, you know, we know that we're having difficulty attracting people, uh, young mm-hmm. people, for instance, to get to, to come into this industry. Um, I don't think that there's been anywhere, anywhere near enough of a kind of a serious attempt to look at the culture of the industry. And to look at, uh, how to connect with, uh, with people, either young people or people from other industries who could be coming, coming into this, getting more of a gender balance in, in the, in the workforce too, you know, uh, uh, to, to, to try and uh, communicate and reach out to people and, and, uh, show, show, show the sense of opportunity and, uh, th- that we have here and that, that, uh, that we'll need different kinds of skills to, to deliver it, uh, you know, bearing in mind that, with renovations, an awful lot of the time we're not, we're talking about projects where we're not going to be de- decanting people. We're going to be working in people's living rooms, you know. Um, and I just feel that there's a there's, there's a whole missing piece of work here to kind of consider, you know, opportunities for people to work in their local communities, improve their local communities, uh, you know, with, with preconceived notions that people may have about the industry. Uh, that need to be exploded and need to be kind of put, picked apart and changed because you know we're missing out on so much talent that could be applied to help us to kind of solve these problems. Yeah, and my colleague actually, uh, Shined, is doing a, a lot of work in the IGBC uh, on skills. But I think, like we, we would agree with like, everything that that you have just said there. And also, if we think really of the uh, construction industry, and I don't know, we get that message across, but I think it's a, I mean. 
it's a great opportunity as well to some extent to address the boom and burst cycle in the industry because we have 1.5 million homes to, to retrofit like across Ireland at minimum. So really it should guarantee, you know, walk, sister, like, yeah, walk across the country for the next 30 years. But you're absolutely right. We are probably not communicating that, um, well enough and attracting more people to the industry is, uh, is another challenge. I don't know things we were looking at as well. Like, Lots of young people are very interested in environmental issues and climate change, but I'm just not sure yet, like, you know, that they necessarily see like the impact of construction, um, the impact that they could have in terms of climate uh, by working in the construction. So perhaps that's something we could do better. Another thing that I know, like uh, Shined is mentioning a lot in the office in relation to the gender balance. It's also, I think it would be critical that all the girls school, you know, would have like STEM as well as part of the, like, you know, that there are opportunities for girls as well to go in, the, in this industry. Well, this is it. It's STEM in application. I mean, um, even for, um, you know, getting parents as well to to get it out of their heads that every kid needs to go to to a uni un university. That's another thing. But, you know, because certainly you'll tend to find that a lot of the kids who who took on a trade rather than uh, rather than went to university are the ones who are who are doing better, you know, economically uh, in many cases, because there's, there's an awful lot of money to be earned in that space. But when we look at existing buildings and the challenges that they impose, this is whether it's moisture, heat, air quality, and so on, and the and this kind of data logging and you know using data as the as the basis for understanding buildings, it's it is it's it's. I mean, you learn things all the time from a, from a science perspective, and I think I find that's kind of you know fascinating, and I would think for people of a scientific mindset, very rewarding too. You know, <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's fine. Um, I think we've got enough, Marion. Anyway. Um, Thank you so much for 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 joining us, Marion. Is, is there anything in particular that you'd like to plug before we let you go? No, I suppose uh, no. The main thing I think I, I just would like to mention as well. So you know, I, I mentioned during the show the um, building a zero carbon island, which is a roadmap to decarbonize the built environment. The IGBC roadmap to decarbonize island built environment to twenty fifty. For the next three years, uh, we are very much. Um, focusing on implementing the roadmap. So what we did with the roadmap was to develop like clear pathway for each sector. So I know sometimes it might be difficult, you know, for people to know, but what can I do um, at my level? But we have pathway and clear action for um, really for everyone in the industry, from architects to structural engineers, mechanical and electrical engineers. So perhaps, you know, it's World Green Building Week this week. I don't know when the podcast will be released. It'll be next week. Yeah, yeah. It'll be next Excuse week. Me. Yeah. So if people could just take, if you could just take one action, I suppose, would be to have a look uh, at the roadmap, uh, perhaps to endorse it. And if you don't feel comfortable endorsing it, at least to take action, you know, to really the main thing is really to start um, acting and uh, implementing some of these uh, recommendations. I think it's really helpful if you have documents like which are helping people to make sense of uh, where they fit in. You, you know, it's very, it's really, really useful to be guiding people in that kind of way. So we'll include a link to that in the show notes. So look, um, what else do we say? Thank you so much, Marianne, for, for, for joining us. What is there to say? Uh, the, usu the usual kind of things. For, oh yeah, the toxic positivity, uh, Dan will always say. <laughs> uh, everybody listening, please share us, review us, give us uh, give us five-star ratings only, apparently, because you know, in this world of toxic positivity, nothing else counts. Even if you just you dislike us, hold hold your nose and and and, and give us the best. Give us five if you can. And uh, uh, other than that, yeah, uh, we we have a bunch of organizations we usually plug. Um, so join uh, the IGBC, believe it or not, Mariam, we, we usually plug that. Uh, join ACAN, 
the AECB. We have a consultancy, Zero Ambitions Partners, which is dealing with strategy and communications uh, and kind of user research and so on. The, the uh, email addresses to if you if you're looking for us, whatever your organization might be, if, if there's a conversation you want to start with us, it's like Alex at zero ambitions dot partners or Dan or Jeff at zero ambitions dot partners. Then there's the magazine, you know, subscribe uh, um, uh, um, to, to, to Passive S Plus if you're if you're if you're inclined. But thank you so much, Marianne, and uh, look forward to having you back again. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, uh, Alex. It was very nice. Really enjoyed it. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you.